Today, we are going to meet a fireball, Shaletta Brundage. She may be small in stature, but she shines so bright as an advocate for her children with autism and her community. Three of Shaletta's four children are on the autism spectrum and has made it her goal to represent them and others through her activism. Shaletta Brundage, welcome to Believe in People. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. How did you get involved with working with uh, people who are children who are on the autism spectrum? Tell me about your own life a little bit, and then we can launch from there. Well, I've got four kids, four beautiful babies. Uh, Andrew is 16, Brandon is 10, Cameron is um, nine, and Daniel is eight. Um, Brandon, Cameron, and Daniel have all been diagnosed with autism. And I had no idea what autism was, had never heard of it before. But one day when Brandon was just two years old, uh, I remember looking at him and giving him some instructions and he looked at me as if I was not there. And that's when I realized the light had gone off and nobody told me that the flip was uh, switched. And I said, "Uh oh, um, something is wrong. So I, I took him to the doctor and they diagnosed him with autism. Um, he was not speaking, nonverbal, um, would not interact with his peers, did not know how to play uh, with his toys or uh, any games. And uh, I remember in daycare, the teacher had to hold his head up um, for him to look at the camera for school photos. And in his school photos, you can see his teacher's hand lovingly underneath his chin, but still his eyes wandered off. And, um, you know, I thought this was it, Kevin. I thought my baby is never going to be able to talk. He's never going to be able to go to college. He's never going to be able to get married and give me some grandbabies. And, you know, while I was clinically depressed and drinking myself to death and not eating and, you know, you can't look at me now and tell, but I was down to 97 pounds uh, because I refused to, to put anything in my body except coffee and, and brown liquor. And then I noticed that my daughter, Cameron, had started exhibiting some of the same traits. She didn't look at me. She wouldn't talk to her family. She wouldn't talk to her friends. And in fact, when you looked at her, she would cry. We would have to tell people when they came over to the house, listen, before you walk in the door, don't look at her. Because if you do, she's going to cry and it's, we're not going to be able to get her um, back to her happy place for quite some time. So people will come over wow. to the house with clear instructions not to look at my daughter. And, and then by the time um, I, I, I realized that Cameron was diagnosed with autism, um, here comes Daniel. And he was doing some of the same things. We would give him a toy. He wouldn't play with them. Uh, we would talk to him. He wouldn't respond. He wouldn't look at us. Um, he wouldn't eat or try to feed himself. Oh, it was it was bad, y'all. Oh, so sad. It was three babies over here, Kevin, and they were all in diapers when they should have been potty trained. I was feeding all of them pureed food, uh, and and it was just it was so sad and depressing. And I thought, oh my God, why are you punishing me? I remember saying that. Why are you punishing me? And I remember clearly hearing God's voice saying, I'm not punishing you. I have given you a position. This position is mother. Now you get up, 
Stop all that drinking. Mother your children. And when they get better, you go and help somebody else. And I was literally under the table. You know how they say, I'm going to drink you under the table. That's why I was really under the table drinking. I got from, crawled from up under the table, made myself something to eat, wiped my face off, put my chest out, put my shoulders back, and I got to work. I got my kids in some good therapy. I prayed over them. I went up to the school to figure out how we can all work together as a team to get these children healthy, healed, and whole. Because our family motto then became, we don't want our kids to get help. We want them healed. My goal at that point was believing that my children could be healed. I wanted people to look at my kids and speak to them and not know that they even had autism. And two years later, with good therapy, good teachers, prayer, and pressing, through everything and having faith, two of my three children have tested off the spectrum and the youngest one is not far behind. Wow. That's incredible, Shaletta. So and what was the learning as you were? I mean, I'm sure it was just uh, a massive learning curve. How did you get the support that you needed? Where did you start? I know that you sort of um, mentioned a few things, but for those who are listening and they're lost, what, 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 do you, what did you do? Girl, the first thing I had to do was pray because you are lost. When people give you this autism diagnosis, ma'am, let me tell you, it's like getting the keys to an 18-wheeler full of money. And they say, if you can drive this home, you can have the money. Well, hell, how do you know how to drive an 18-wheeler if you've never driven one? All that money is going to sit there in that truck. So these doctors, they give you this diagnosis and they say, your child has autism. And they send you home and you think, now what? What do I do? And at the time, listen to this, at the time I was in Texas. So I called a social worker and she said, my son Brandon was four at the time. I said, listen, early intervention is the key. I've got three kids over here. One of them diagnosed with autism and I'm sure two of them will also have it as well. What services do you have? The social worker in Texas told me, we can put him in a group home when he turns 14. I will never forget this. I said, but he is four. What am I supposed to do over the next 10 years? She said, that's how long the waiting list is in Texas. Wow. I said, well, I got to get out of Texas because I can't stay here 10 years waiting on services. So I literally called every 50 states, all 50 of them. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Saying, how long is your wait list for services? Minnesota said 10 months. We packed up like the Beverly Hillbillies. We put a chair on top of the car, strapped it down with some rope, and we drove nonstop from Texas to Minnesota. And the first thing we did here was sign these kids up for services. That's why they're doing so good, because I didn't have to wait. And I tell parents all the time, just like we move for love, we move for jobs, we might have to move to a new state to get better services for our kids. And this is the sad thing. I went back down to Texas for Christmas to visit my family. And I went back to my old neighborhood with the kids and they looking at them. And my kids now are talking and they're potty trained and they're having conversation. And, and the thing that I prayed for, that they didn't look like they had autism. That's what's happening with them right now. And, and my neighbors are just like, oh, my gosh, you let us such a good parent. Not really. I'm not really that good of a parent. I went to a state that had good services for children with special needs. And then I met up with some of the families down in Texas 
whose children had autism, like my kids, and they were the same age and they were in the same classes before we left, those kids are still not talking. Those kids are still in pampas. Those kids are just now getting services seven and eight years late. I guess, you know, when you're told, if you were told that your child had has autism, I, I would assume that it hits a family very hard. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying to me is that, but what you're saying to me is, is that you shouldn't just give up at that moment. You shouldn't no. just say, oh, my child has autism. Therefore, it's going to be, it's just, it's over. It's not oh, over. Yeah, yeah. This is, no, it's not. That's just the beginning. You know, it's just the beginning. And it don't feel like that at the time, Kevin. That's the thing. You know, when somebody tells you your child has autism, you think, oh, all the dreams I have for my child are gone. You know, this is it. This is the end. But that's why I always share our story. So parents cannot lose hope or give up. So that they can see my daughter, who was once so shy that she didn't want you to look at her, is now starring in plays. She's written her own best-selling children's book. She's having book readings and book signings. She's tested off the spectrum. Who knew that that was even possible? She's in a class with her normal developing peers when she was so severely autistic. At the first autism test that she ever took, she didn't talk. They put her in a class for deaf children and started teaching her sign language. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And now this girl is talking back. Sometimes I have to watch myself because I want to tell her, shut up. But this is what I prayed for. (laughs) And now she's talking back. And so the other day I almost said, shut up. And I have to realize this is the answer to a prayer to have a child that talks back to you. Do you understand what I'm telling you? (laughs) And so, so I want people to see that. So that's why I'm always talking about my kids. I'm always telling the story because when I was going through it, I didn't have anybody to show me that it got better. So what am I hoping for? I don't see anything. I don't have anybody to say, you know what? I want my kids to be like that kid. Or I want to be a mom like that mom. It was a long time before I saw Holly Robinson peak. She's the only person who gave me hope. She's the only person who shared her journey and her story about her son, RJ. She wrote a book. She had a reality show. She was talking about it on social media. She was going to the you know, national workshops and conferences. She was you know, putting her son out there to say it can and will get better. And when I saw that, I thought, yes, if it can get better for her, it can get better for me. Well, and you know what, Shiletta, that really segues beautifully into you're a remarkable woman. I mean, not only did you have the, you sort of picked yourself up, dusted yourself up and said, these kids need me, but you also saw, I mean, you're an activist, but you, and I'm going to quote this from your uh, website, but you were aware of the serious lack of diversity in traditional media because being a media person and you were frustrated with your own inability to find a seat at the table. Okay. So once again, she let it decided, Nope, I'm going to build my own company. So I understand you created, she let it makes me laugh. What have you discovered so far having created that? Tell us about it. In three years of business, I have discovered that I will work harder for myself than I ever worked for anybody else in my life. I was, Miss Amy, um, at a radio station. Um, I had been there. It was a CBS affiliate for, you know, 
three or four years, I was working overnights and weekends to get my foot in the door and I was doing a good job. I was filling in and just giving them all my brain matter for promotional ideas, doing a great job. I've got 23 years in broadcasting. I won an Emmy and two Edward R. Murrow Awards. Wow. So I know what I'm doing. Wait a minute. Yes, on that. That's amazing. That should not be overlooked. I think you're in good company, Kevin. Yes, right? Very yes, familiar. Ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And so every time a position came up, I kept getting passed over. And what's worse is I kept getting passed over for, for white guys who didn't have as much experience that I had to train. Nothing against you white guys, Kevin. Y'all are awesome. But if you got an opening and you were saying, I want a person who has, you know, some awards and a degree and all this experience. And you got a black woman sitting here with everything you're asking for. And then you pass that person over to give it to someone else who doesn't have any of that experience. And then a black woman has to train them. You know, it's only so many times uh, you can deal with that. You can take That's it. just wrong. Say, That's just what? wrong. Yeah, right. And, and so I, I realized that I was never going to be enough. I was never going to be what they were looking for. And I said, you know, I'm going to be like Tyler Perry. I'm going to create my own type. And so I created ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com, um, a podcast and platform and production company that celebrates Black culture um, and diversity and people of color. It tells our stories and our creativity um, and, you know, our celebrations, not just the shootings, right? But the backpack giveaways and the Thanksgiving basket giveaways and the, you know, dad and daughter dance that is attended by 600 fathers and their daughters, you know, where they all get dressed up and they have a good time and they love each other. Those are the, the stories that don't make the news. Right. And and if we've got a platform and an opportunity, we can tell those stories. And so that's what we do at ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com. We've got 10 weekly podcast, all hosted by Black subject experts. And, you know, because it's my company and my thing, you know, I can move how fast I want to move. I can do what I want to do. I don't have to wait for the corporate people in Kentucky to decide whether or not uh, we're going to have a town hall on team mental health in Minnesota. I don't have to wait for a corporate executive in Indiana to clear me to do a blood pressure screening for Black women on Mother's Day uh, to promote uh, being healthy, right? I can do that whenever I get ready to do it because it's my company, it's my people, it's my community. Um, and, and I've just been having such a good time connecting um, with my community and, and providing resources that we otherwise would not have had. And this is a fun fact. I don't know if y'all know this, but when George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis, I was working um, at my CBS affiliate station, you know, part-time overnight weekends. And we got the news release. And the way that the news release read, it said he died of natural causes. Now, we've been working the news a long time, Kevin. We know how to read a news release. We know when something happens and it's a big deal, we read it. It's two sentences. Okay, this guy dies of natural causes. You know, when people get arrested, that's a, a real traumatic event for some folks. And, you know, Kevin and I have been in news long enough to know that some people will die when they get arrested because they'll have a heart attack or to have a stroke, or it may have been any other number of things. Um, and so the news release for George Floyd's death read as if um, it was just natural, it was no big deal. But I kept getting calls from folks in the community who said, Shalada, you need to get out into something you need to see. And so at the time I'm on the clock 
at my CBS affiliate station overnight weekend gig, but I still got ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com, right? In its infancy stages. We were only like two or three months old. And so um, I kept trying to get my CBS station to get out there. You know, uh, something's going on. People are calling me. And they were like, no, no, we got the news release. This what it said. Natural causes, no big deal. I said, well, you know what? I got my own media platform. Let me go out there and see what's going on. And if there's something, I can tell the story. You know, I don't need anybody else to do it. So I get out there. And you know who's out there? Black media outlets. I'm there. The spokesman recorder newspapers out there. The oldest African-American newspaper in the Midwest. Inside News is there. Georgia Ford is there. And we're looking at these videos. Mm. And now we know. Now we know the truth. And if you go back, you'll see that black media were the first ones to report on George Floyd's death. Mainstream media came the next morning because they called us because they can trust us. And so when the story broke, um, it was international news, right? And so I'm like on French TV, I'm on Australian TV. I had to ask somebody to translate what they said I said. Um, they were following us around because they, the international media did the timeline and saw that we were the first ones to report it. I had people coming to the square from Japan and Hong Kong saying, where is Shaletta? We're looking for Shaletta. And people were like, she doesn't <laughs> live here. <laughs> she's not, she's not at the square all the time. You know, I was there, you know, during that period, I was there daily. Um, but, um, you know, they, they did, a, they did a timeline and saw who, who were the first people out there. And so that's why black media, diverse media is so important because if we are not there to tell the stories of our communities, then George Floyd is an urban myth. We heard that one day on the corner of 38th and Chicago in front of the cup foods, a guy died and he, he natural causes. Yeah, natural causes. Well, no, no, no. We right. heard this happen, or we heard that happen. Right, no, right. no, no. It never, uh, it never happened. But you know, but but black media tells that story, and, and then it gets legs, and then it lives. Listen, there have been several other incidents since George Floyd. What? And listen, uh, I did this for forty-two years. You would go. Mm-hmm. You would report on this. You would report on the story for a day or two, perhaps. Um, perhaps mm-hmm. there would be a follow-up. Um, obviously, in the case of George Floyd, there was civil unrest, as there as there was in Charlotte and and other places. Um, and then and then the news media moves on. But what does it, it do on. to the black community? What does it do to the black community? These these incidents. Let me tell you something. And I had to explain this to one of my colleagues um, at at, uh, the CBS radio station where I work. Um, He didn't understand why people in the community were so upset that he was there. He was like, what? I'm just, you know, it's like I told this guy, I'm just trying to do my job. Why is he so angry with me? I said, you know why he's angry? Because when they called you to come to the backpack giveaway, you didn't show up. When they called you to come to the Christmas toy drive, you weren't there. When they were doing back-to-school haircuts and hairstyles for kids, nobody responded. 
But now that a man is dead and the community is dealing with the tragedy and grief of his death, you're here every day. You're flying in reporters from Chicago and Houston. You done lit up the neighborhood like a Christmas tree. All we see is live shots, camera crews, trucks and everything um, at a black man's death. Um, these, these people can't even get outside their house before you stick in a camera in their face. But when they call you, you don't come. Even when he died and I told you, you didn't go. So don't get upset with these people for being angry at you because you've cultivated this anger. You stirred the pot when you didn't show up. So if you want to start building bridges with the black community, then the media needs to show up when there's quote unquote, nothing going on. Yeah. Um, you need to yeah. really come out here when these people are celebrating and having a block party. You also need to put some people on TV who look like them. The reason I got a whole media empire and successful company is because we don't have enough diversity in media. And Kevin, you know this, in 23 years, I sat in newsrooms pitching stories that my white counterparts did not deem newsworthy. And, and, and I'm fighting and beating my head up against the wall and they'll go out and get a quick video that's quickly cut out of the newscast because they didn't have enough time. People are waiting to see themselves on TV. Whether you cover their stories or you got a black or Latino or Asian or, you know, transgender um, host or reporter. We don't have none of that. We don't have enough of that. You know, they're doing better now. But for a long time, Kevin, and you know this, there was no diversity in media. And, and, and so now that George Floyd is dying, oh, Lord, have mercy. They busting people to get DEI certifications. Um, and taking them back to the newsroom and, and, and now they're making changes and doing things. And that's all good. But how, for how long? You yeah. Know, and you know how, what? How, how long well, is it going? And you're right, Shaletta. It's like showing up, right? They don't show up when they should. And that's what I love when you talked about your stories. And I'd like to hear more about it. Uh, the, the 10 podcasts that you run, the feel good, the community, they're lifting people up. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what it's about. You know, we, we hit the doom and gloom and we think, OK, we've created a stereotype. And so what kind of well, story? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it. Kind of story well, well, telling? Well, girl, I'm telling all the stories. I'm telling the good, the bad, and the ugly, but it's a balance. You know, it is a balance. Um, for instance, you know, we um, you know, have $17 billion in the legislature right now, um, a surplus in Minnesota. How can that help small black businesses? We're talking to small black businesses about how that can help them. And not only how that can help them, we this is the thing about us. We transcend the podcast. That, uh, the podcasts are just an opportunity for us to tell the story, but then we get out into the community, right? Um, so when we realized that there was a $17 billion surplus and small business owners of color needed help and, and could use some of that money, we had a whole day at the Capitol. 240 black business owners descended on the Minnesota state capitol to say, excuse me, where's our money? We're knocking on doors. Um, when I went to the Walgreens and saw that the Pampers were locked up in underserved communities because the mothers, the single mothers, didn't have enough money to buy disposable diapers for their children. I said, we're going to have a Pamper drive. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope. We're going to come over here with some of the people who sponsor our network. And we're going to give away Pampers 
to moms in need. Um, so when we talk about those stories, um, we celebrate the block parties. Uh, we can actually get out there and go live. We can talk to the people. We can, you know, get a feel for what's going on. We have our finger on the pulse of the community and, and we have their eyes and ears and, and we have their hearts. And, and so that's why people trust us. You know, Darnella Frazier, um, the young lady who actually took the famous video of George Floyd um, being uh, murdered in the broad daylight. Um, her family came to me and said that the young lady who was with her, her cousin, Judea Reynolds, wanted to tell her story because she saw a book about my daughter, Cameron, that book that we were talking about earlier. And she felt like if Cameron could tell her story, she could too. So she came to me and we wrote a story called My Walk to the Store uh, about what happened the day she saw George Floyd die. Wow. So we are not just talking about the community. Um, we are the community. We are part of them and they are part of us. And, and they see us as their outlet, as their mouthpiece. You know, we used to have to go out and say, what's going on? What are you doing? You know, talk to us, trust us. Three years into this thing, having this podcast and network with 10 weekly shows, we can't keep up. They're coming to us. Did y'all know we have this going on? Can you talk to my uncle? Can you talk to my cousin? Can you be at this celebration? Uh, we have this big women's expo and we're trying to lift up black women in the community. Can, can you do something about that? Can you make sure everybody knows? And, and so we're so excited um, to be an extension of what is going on in our community. That's amazing. Shaletta, we've almost run out of time and we've only no, just started I, talking. No, that's not possible. <laughs> Let's, We've uh, only, we have a part two or something? I mean, who is in charge of this thing? We need more time. <laughs> we dearly want you to come back. But before we let you go, we ask the same question every week of each person who invites us into a little corner of their community, as you have today. But despite everything we've talked about today, there still is a tremendous amount of positivity in what you've told us. And I want to ask you, why do you believe in people? I believe in people because uh, God believed in me. You know, I'm on my fifth second chance right now, Kevin Tibbles. God should have given up on me a long time ago, but he still keeps investing in me and he keeps strengthening me and he keeps giving me opportunities to do more and to grow and to help and to thrive and prosper. And if, God gives me another chance and, and gives me an opportunity to make good on it. You know, why wouldn't I do that for folks, um, for other people? You know, we um, all have some good in us. Every single person has some good in them because God is in them. And so I go out into this world every day looking for the God in everybody. And, and when I look for the God and the good, I always find it. Why do you, why do you believe in God? Um, because I'm breathing, because I see my children, you know, kids who were not talking and not looking at me and not being able to play with their toys now talking and potty train when I'm on the pot right now uh, while we talking like mom come wipe my butt because he knows when it's time to go potty. This was a kid who would just, you know, stand there in a pamper for years. I thought, you know, this is never going to get better. But when I prayed and God answered, I knew he was real. Shaletta Brundage, thank you. What a delightful 
half You're hour. So I, just, I hope you'll come back. Thank you oh, so well, much. I'm, I'm never leaving. What are you talking about? Come back. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be logged on the next time you log on, Kevin Tibbs. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Sheila. I nice. really appreciate it. Okay, when we started this thing, I said, Amy, that this uh, that we were about to meet a fireball, and I don't think I let anybody down. What an advocate for her children, for her family, for others, uh, families with children with autism, for her community, for uh, people right, right across this country. I mean, what a big heart. Yeah, massive heart. And I mean, yeah, you did. Uh, she did not disappoint. Wow. She is a fireball, <laughs> as you said, no question. And the one thing that resonated with me the most is she said, we are community. She took responsibility for it. It wasn't uh, it wasn't external. It was she lives and breathes it. And I think that's what you have to do in order to to thrive in a way that um, makes the changes uh come about so wow so if you've been inspired by that which if you haven't please let us know because uh, we'll, uh <laughs> <You need help. laughs> yeah exactly um please subscribe to our podcast believe in people uh we appreciate it thanks a lot thank you <laughs>